Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentric. David, why are we still at Health 2021? Enough already. What, 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 what's up next? What, I thought it, what could we possibly have left? Not who to talk to, what to talk about. Inform me. Here's the thing. We have Dan Mendelson here, and now he is moving on up in the world. Not that he wasn't Absolutely. in a high stature before when we spoke to him at Avalier. He's dressed better now. Well, you won't be able to see that unless we have a good photo along with this show. But he's now CEO of Morgan Health. And it's a serious stuff, John. So let's take it seriously for once. Okay. Okay. Well, welcome, Dan. Thanks for coming back to the show. Tell us a little bit about what does Morgan have to do with J.P. Morgan, and what is J.P. Morgan in healthcare? I mean, what, I mean, what does it all mean? I mean, it, 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 it's we were earlier today. We were talking about Walmart, and I think Marcus ably defended the role of Walmart in health. I mean, how can J.P. Morgan and and your new venture really? Help us you know, meet the challenges of healthcare today. Well, first, uh, let me thank you guys for having me again on the show. I'm a repeat offender, and uh, it's always fun to subject myself to your abuse. So uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, John, to your question about uh, kind of why is uh, J.P. Morgan Chase in this? Look, the company spends about a billion seven a year on healthcare. And it's a very traditional indemnity model today. There's no accountability for outcomes. There's no accountability for costs. And, you know, we got to believe that we've got health equity issues along with everybody else. So I think that, you know, it's incumbent on a company like J.P. Morgan Chase to try to do better. And that's really where it all starts. But can an employer really make a difference? Yeah. I think I think an employer can make a difference by holding uh, its partners accountable to make sure that there's an acceleration of progress. And look, you know, we, after thinking about this carefully, there are a lot of things that we can't do. We can't price drugs. Uh, We can't um, and won't ever force people into programs of care that they don't want to go into. Um, This is really intended to improve outcomes and also to improve retention and you know, many other things, but there are, there are many ways that, that we can, that we can improve. Um, the first that we're focused on is accountable care and really bringing a lot of those concepts of accountable care into the employer context where, you know, they've proven successful in Medicare. Why not use them over here? So it looks like you have three areas of focus. So even though you can't do everything, it's a pretty broad remit and it's not obvious to how the the three things go together. Is it is it too ambitious? And you know, does one kind of rise to the top out of those three? Well, yeah. what are they, David? You you refer to three like we're well, supposed I wanted to, to know. See, there's always in consulting. There's always oh, three things. So it warmed my there heart. There have to be three. Yeah. Exactly. So I'll tell you what I read, and then maybe yeah, Dan can inform yeah, can, us can a little better. Can you, yeah. deepen it. Yeah. That's fine. So two hundred guessing game. Two hundred fifty million dollars toward health system improvement. That's the first one. The second, enhanced health benefits for employees, and the third is promoting. Healthcare equity. So those seem to me to be fairly diverse set of goals and uh, pretty big and broad. And I, I think a danger of uh, overreach and disappointment in the ah. $3 trillion healthcare system or $4 trillion or 5 whatever it is by the time we're done with it. All right. Well, okay. First, I don't know who's writing your talking points, but uh, let me kind of reframe a little bit here. Um, we, we go into this with a focus on employer-sponsored healthcare. So... Um, we are not going to be investing in Medicare, Medicaid, 
you know, kind of related issues, core technology, uh, those kinds of things. So, you know, that's kind of all off the table. Um, in terms of what we are trying to accomplish, uh, improvements in outcomes as measured by standard measures, diabetes, cardiovascular, cancer screenings, and the like, the ones you're familiar with. Um, number two, a mitigation in the rising costs. So we're not looking, you know, necessarily to see total cost of care plunge. I think we're all uh, jaded enough to not believe that that's going to happen uh, in the immediate future. And then the third is just to address these health equity issues that we know exist. Um, we have $250 million from the balance sheet to invest, but not everything that we do will require investment. So for example, just last week, we uh, closed a, a um, collaboration agreement with Kaiser Permanente, where um, we're going to work collaboratively with Kaiser to identify any disparities in care that exist in our population on race, ethnicity, and to address them over time. So, you know, there are very specific, concrete things that, that we're going to do. So we will not, um, I don't, none of us believe that due to our efforts, it's going to be like this transformational thing that the entire healthcare system is going to turn around. But yet we, we do believe that our participation in this will uh, make a difference and we'll be able to accelerate progress like you know, we did with Kaiser. And when you think about that, Dan, you know, I do think that, you know, you bring the benefit of having been at the peak of government around, you know, how we're spending money when you were in the White House, if, of consulting to some of the great organizations in the United States to get, you know, deep an an analysis and analytics around what works and what doesn't. And now you represent an employer and employer's I think are, can be and have historically been more aggressive about arguing the sort of the poor return on investment or no return measures or no metrics and no accountability. It's been enormously frustrating, Pacific Group on Health, all the, di- the different employer coalitions have pushed it. What's going to be different this time in five years from now? What, do you, what would you like your uh, most Im- ranked achievements in terms of accountability? Because I do think... You know, J.P. Morgan as a brand and as an employer is really well positioned if you can drive that through. But to your point, you can't boil the ocean. So what do you focus on and, and, and where do you think you can, you can what, what do you think that legacy Great. is going to be like? So we, this, this really, you're asking the questions that were really core to our whole strategic planning effort uh, when we first launched this. And um, I'll say a couple of things. First, um, we are an investor. We have $250 million from the balance sheet to invest. We will invest in companies where we believe that we can meaningfully accelerate their progress. Um, What does that mean? It means, first of all, we have a great staff. Um, They come out of the innovation center. They come out of investing. Uh, We have really outstanding expertise in uh, health equity on the staff now. So, you know, we have that intellectual property. We have the JPMC financial acumen. We have um, one point six to seven billion dollars a year that we spend on healthcare uh, to leverage as well. The other interesting thing about the the um, JPMC environment is that about half of our population is concentrated into seven geographic areas. So we have these natural test beds. So for example, in Columbus, Ohio, we have 38,000 employees and dependents. And we chose that as our first uh, area to test uh, in advanced primary care model and to move to full risk um, because of the fact that we have that population. We're the largest commercial insurer in Columbus. And um, we also happen to have a really outstanding 
primary care practice there that um, has been successfully taking full risk in Medicare. And so, you know, if we can put those assets together and do something meaningful in Columbus, I think, David, to your point about like, well, why are you going to be successful? Um, it's really that we will adjust the expectations now. We're not planning to do this countrywide initially. We're taking geographies where we know that we can make a difference and applying our energies there. And so you, clearly, you clearly, you know, J.P. Morgan has been concerned about healthcare for some time, and the previous effort involved working with two other companies in Haven to try to change things. That didn't work out so well. Are there specific lessons that J.P. Morgan derived from that that are informing what you're doing now? Right. Three lessons. So first is simplified governance is good. That's the one that you just referred to. You had three companies that had very different uh, ideas about what they wanted to accomplish, and governance in that context is impossible. Um, second is that we are going to be approaching this in partnership with outstanding companies on the outside. So we are not going to hire programmers. We are not going to try to build this from scratch. Um, the approach is very practical, and that's why investment capital, you know, is is the way to do that because then we can sit on the board and help to direct the the efforts and make sure that they're congruent with our with our values. And then I'd say the third thing is that um, there were a couple of successful projects that um, – that Haven did that really didn't make the radar screen, but they were they no, were nothing, really thoughtful. Nothing made the radar screen. Oh, no. John, John, John. Um, but but you know, so for example, um, they did a number of really interesting um, projects in primary care, and we used the results of that to have primary care be a major focus. So look, you know, we we are we're certainly very interested in virtual care and how that gets integrated in, but for our kind of pilot in in Columbus, it's going to be advanced primary care and it's going to be physical in addition to digital. And when you think about, you know, primary care, I guess as you think about your investment agenda, you know, it's hard to talk about what you might invest in next because if you say that as J.P. Morgan, the price will go up. But are there models that you see around the floor or around the country at Health 2021 or elsewhere mm -hmm. that you, w you would have liked to have invested in if you were doing this five years ago? Yeah. Look, a lot of companies that we're talking to are here at Health 2021, which is one of the reasons that I'm here. Um, the other reason, by the way, I want to come back to, which is we had a great uh, panel with Liz Fowler uh, this morning. I don't know if either of you had a chance to catch it, but you know there are a lot of lessons that we can work back and forth, you know, public-private uh, with CMS, but you know, we, we can come back to that one. But on the company front, um, we're very interested in advanced primary care and coordinated care, um, number of companies in that. Uh, we're interested in care navigation. So, you know, can you use algorithms and analytics to, to help educate consumers about where they should be seeking care and what the cost of that is going to be? So that's another one. Um, to the accolade grand rounds yeah. kind of yeah. companies like those. Absolutely. Those companies, those companies which are established um, through a quantum in there as well. And then quantum's great. Yeah. And then also kind of all of the smaller ones. You've got you've got a lot of interesting companies well, right way, 98.6, you know, a little bit more scrappy and young, um, but experimenting with technologies that perhaps are even a little bit more advanced than some of the established players. So those are companies that we're very interested really in. Really exciting. And then and then um, look when you look at our benefit, about 25% of our cost is drugs. And it goes up more rapidly than other things. And then, you know, there's, there's, a, um, there's kind of a, 
a whole tsunami of cell and gene therapy costs that are just kind of sitting off in the in the uh, in the ether there, and we're focused on that. We're concerned about that. It's not going to be our first focus um, because it is twenty five percent as opposed to the seventy five percent. But we will definitely be be starting to look at companies that have better approaches to kind of drug management, and that's something that we're we're very interested in is, is, getting is, into. Are we going to get J P Morgan to endorse the federal government negotiating drug prices for the Medicare program? We actually got. A blue CEO on the record yesterday is saying he's given up on on, uh-huh. on 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 the current system, and we have you know we have, you, the United States has to negotiate with Big Pharma. You've been on both sides of that, both on the board of Coventry of Health Plans. You've been in the White House. What say you? I mean, look, I say first of all, the answer to your question is no. That we are not going on record saying that you know the government. I mean, frankly, having sat at White House OMB. Um, I hesitate a little bit um, because I know that the government isn't so great at negotiating uh, prices doing a with great job at the Pentagon. commercial entities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and do we really want healthcare to be a cost plus uh, world? I don't think we do. You know, and so look, I I think that um, there's a whole range of things that should be done. So you know, for example, we should have better data on the value of medications for our population for Medicare, for Medicaid, it'd be great to get the information just like European countries do. I mean, so why don't we start there? Um, but I think, again, you know, we're, we are focusing on the things that we can control, not, you know, who's going to be setting the prices for drugs. I think we, you know, on, when it comes to drugs, we are more concerned about how they fit into the care map uh, and whether the distribution costs are reasonable than we are how the prices are actually being set. So let's talk about public-private partnerships. And you mentioned your panel from this morning, and, and clearly you, you've been inside government, you've been in the private sector. You mentioned even you know J.P. Morgan's not going to try to tackle everything by itself. How can the private and the public sectors uh, work together? What was the discussion like this morning? Yeah. So so um, first, we're interested in the same things that Liz is at uh, the Centers for Medicare yeah, and Medicaid Innovation. Liz is the Innovation. director of CMMI. Liz Liz Fowler. Right. Thank you. Um, and. You know, they, they want to drive more accountability into Medicare. We want to drive more accountability into, into commercial insurance. Um, one of the things we've been talking with them about is geography, specific geographies, you know, because I think one of the reasons why we are likely to be successful in Columbus is that we're working with, with, um, a, a practice, um, Central Ohio Primary Care that has been taking risk in Medicare for many, many years, you know, and so they have that experience. And, you know, frankly, I don't think that you could go in on a naive basis to a primary care practice or really any practice and have them take risk in a year and a half if they hadn't had a long experience. So we benefit from Medicare having done that. And to the extent that we can coordinate geographies, that's great. Um, another example is our work on health equity. You know, in this, in this place, we're ahead of the federal government. Because while they have a very strong interest in uh, setting up payment for closure of gaps, uh, if you will, in in uh, health equity, that takes a long time Current to do in government. Card would say they're doing nothing. I mean, they really haven't put incentives out there because they say they don't have the data. 
Yeah. Well, how are you doing? Well, John is really Debbie Downer this afternoon. You got to call the, the balls and strikes, dude. Don't have Go a, socks. I think you had a, you know, must have had your decaf on the coffee break today. Let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's get back to our <laughs> guests, David. Sure. So well, I, let's give them something else other than G. Is the world going to hell? Dan, please confirm. I, no, I, I, we were just commenting on the fact that the current administration has zero. clearly laid out a health equity agenda that's all questions and no answers. And I think that Dan... Is making pro- he claims that J.P. Morgan is making progress on this there. faster than the <laughs> oh, government. I'm claiming that the uh, now I'm claiming well, we the data. Uh, yeah, and you're a data guy. The thing uh, is, before he said he sleeps, he's not going to go on the record. And the thing is, he doesn't realize how good our editors are, and that word "not" can be clearly <laughs> taken out. So watch out. It's all good. It's all good. Look, actually, you know, one of the reasons why I'm excited about this job is that we're not we're we're very committed to making sure that our successes and our failures will be public. And so, you know, the idea is really to give as much information about what we're doing as possible. And if things don't work, that's fine. I mean, we're a laboratory, just like CMMI is a laboratory, you know, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. I'd love to probe a little bit around, you know, there's, there's, I mean, what's shocking about the health inequity data is how it is systematically, even for, Mm. if you control for income education uh, uh, profession, Mm -hmm. The disparities around race and ethnicity are stark, and they're not shrinking. Are you shocked so that there's discrimination you, in America? You, is that you, what you're shocked you, at? No, but no, I'm, what, I, what I'm shocked at is I think of physicians hey, John, as not here. having predispositions <laughs> towards race and ethnicity as filters. But even if it's access to pain meds yeah. or access to the best cancer drugs, it is materially clear that race and ethnicity drive poor selection and poor service. I mean, Serena Williams had to fight to get to for anyone to take right. her pregnancy issue seriously. She almost bled out. And that is much more common among people of color who are bearing children than not. And it's really intriguing to me that you've taken that stand. But how are you going to work to make progress given? Because you also have, a, in addition to having a concentrated population, you've got a population all over the place. Right. So you very clear, you very well articulated exactly why we're in this and why we're doing this. So now kind of what tools and methods uh, do, we, do we bring? Um, our tools and methods need to be multifaceted, just like the problem is multifaceted. So first thing I'll say is, you know, I was on the Coventry Healthcare Board of Directors when star ratings in Medicare, the quality payments, went from being something that, you know, you, you measured and you forgot about to being the basis of payment. And what happened in, you know, 2007 is that, um, if I'm getting my date right, is that, is that they went from being, you know, nothing to essentially determining whether you're going to have a profitable plan or not. And, um, so in our relationship with Vera, um, there, we have an agreement with them that we will start to pay on the basis of disparities. So if there are disparities, um, they will ultimately have poor economics than if there aren't. And that is important. So that's kind of one. It's not going to fix everything. Um, a second area it's a that made your step forward, though, and that's the first you time you got to pay. If you pay for quality, you get what you what you pay for. Because we all know that that providers follow incentives, health insurance plans follow incentives. We all follow incentives. Let's face it. And so, you know, we will get all sorts of creative ways to reduce disparities if it drives the economics of plan payment. And so that's, you know, what we're interested in doing. And look, it's easier for us to do that than the federal government. Um, or at least it's easier for us to do it more rapidly. And that's the kind of thing that, frankly, you know, the, the, um, the, my friends at CMS 
are happy that we're leading here because then they can go back and say, hey, look what's happening in the private sector. So that's kind of a, a, an example of a place where perhaps we can help them a little bit. So, Dan, last time we had you on the show, we were actually talking about some analysis that you had overseen on the Avalier side related to what Carecentrics is doing. And I am curious about your thoughts about, I think the data was from pre-pandemic, and I'm wondering mm -hmm. your thoughts about how you know, those results might have been influenced by the pandemic, whether they would have held up. I realize it's, it's speculative, but was just had that on my mind. Do you, do you, so, look, you know, I think that, that, um, that it's fair to say that those kinds of results and um, if I'm remembering, do, do you want to do you want to say a little well, bit about well, what, what, the, what we found is that, you know, really building on uh, coaching, navigational tools, algorithms by looking at disparities and gaps in care in the post acute. That's what happens to you after you get discharge setting. We believed that we weren't just lowering costs and readmissions for our members who were in our 90 day program, that if we got it right, caregivers, care providers uh, and, and patients would be reconnected to healthcare in a different way, and that there was, you know, there was an, there was an economist uh, or, or a doctor rather who'd worked in Medicare, Dr. Roy Beveridge, who was a colleague of yours, who was the C former CMO at Humana, who said, "I think this is worth researching because if you're if if you're right and what I see in the short term data is right, that changes the arc mm -hmm. of a of chronically ill patient's um, experience in the healthcare system and could lead." to lower costs and better right. outcomes. And what we, what, what you found, I mean, you, could, you can walk through the data, but what was remarkable mm -hmm. is that nine and 12 months out, once you'd actually built those bridges back to better care, there were material, material reductions in total healthcare costs, and, and much more important, the burden and pain of chronic illness. So these are exactly the kinds of results that we are interested in, and kind of improving the care map and look a hypothesis is that these results also hold up in the employer sector in areas where employer costs are at risk so you know post acute care um, is is the costs are highly concentrated in federal government programs um, so we're looking at application of um, similar tools and methods in areas of concentration of cost for employed populations, whether they be back pain or post-surgical uh, engagement or labor and delivery, you know, because our costs are concentrated in, in different places. So no doubt in my mind that the results hold up um, pre and post pandemic and no doubt in my mind that we need to be using this kind of work as an analogy to the kinds of things that we're focused on uh, at Morgan Health. One thing I'd, I'd, I'd add, at least the insight that, that, that I've seen, Dan, is the quality of the coaching and of the culture of the participants that are trying to kind of remap the emotional connective tissue and support for whether it's someone with chronic heart failure or COPD or, late, or, or a high-risk labor and de delivery uh, really is critical. And one of the things that I think is, is, a, is a little bit soulless about these industry conferences is it's much more about the tech than the heart. And mm -hmm. I think that one of the things that I know you'll cold close to, as you look for these models, but that we've built CareCentrics around, and I think drove the results, is the culture of the people was as powerfully important mm -hmm. as, as, as our analytics and our technology and our network stuff. You know what's interesting? I, I got a question earlier today from a reporter asking, like, is it hard to 
recruit good people to Morgan Health because of what happened at Haven. Just kind of, you know, David to, yeah. you know. And the answer is no, because now that we have kind of the mission aligned and we know what we're about, what we're, do- what we're attracting is a group of people who are passionate about taking another shot at this, you know. And, you give up. and so, like, where else, where else, you know, we, we have the mission is aligned. Uh, it's, it's clean. We have very um, strong support from the CEO on down. Um, wide support as well, you know, from the entire operating committee of the company, $250 million to invest, a practical remit, um, you know, and so, yeah, it's a tough problem, but we feel a high level of confidence that we can, we can succeed. Well, you guys have given me a great headline for this episode, you know, bulge bracket bank brings soul back to healthcare. Oh. Gotta love it. Give soul a chance, David. Ooh. You'll Ooh. enjoy it. I have, matters. I am enjoying it, John. In any case, that's it for this edition of Care Talk. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Thanks for listening and please subscribe. And Dan, thanks for joining and we look forward to hearing more and seeing you close gaps, reduce costs, and lift up this country's healthcare system. Maybe a bank can finally help. Bring thanks a hanky. Bring a hanky. Bring a hanky to the next episode. <laughs>